Hey, it's Jay Keith. The show you're about to hear was recorded with a live audience, and we're about to record another show with a live audience and would love for you to be there. It is on Saturday, February 11th at LAist's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena, California, with our special scheduled guest, comedy and game show icon Bruce Valanche, and celebrated writer Josefina Lopez. You can get your tickets right now at laist.com slash gofactyourself. That's L-A-I-S-T dot com slash gofactyourself. It's always a great time at the Crawford Family Forum, and we'd love to see you there. Oh, we also have another show scheduled for Sunday, February 26th at 2 p.m. at the Center for Inquiry with two fabulous Max Fun guests who will be announced soon that will debut in our Max Fun Drive episodes in March. Please come out to those shows. Check us out. We would love to see you. It's so much fun, and I've run out of things to say. So here's this episode. Enjoy, and thank you. Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually... Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from the Carl Sagan and Andrian Theater at the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles. Here's our moderator, Jakey Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Oh, that's such a lovely round of applause. We appreciate it. It said applause. It so did say I, applause? I, I, I did the applause button. You did, yeah. Uh, and I'll point out a little inside info. It said applause with a question mark. Yeah. It was... And I, I just took it to go applause. <laughs> yeah. I was a little less confident, uh, and I appreciate you going for that, Helen. Helen, it's wonderful to see you. Nice to see you. Now, uh, some of our listeners may know, and some of the people in the audience here may know, that uh, we were supposed to do a show in this space with these guests some weeks ago. And That's we right. had to postpone it rather abruptly. And it was totally my fault. All right. Well, uh, I cannot ask that per HIPAA regulations, but right. if you want to share what uh, what it happened. It was 100% my fault. I was sick as sick could be. I had, uh, uh, not to gross people out, but I had uh, green stuff coming out of every orifice in my head. Mm-hmm. Except for my ears, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I had green stuff out of my nose, my mouth, and my eyeballs. Yes, which that, is, was the, that, was, that was the new wrinkle that yeah, I had not heard of before. that was the fun new thing. Because I have a toddler, I live with a toddler, as many listeners know, I am co-raising my sister's sperm donor baby, and (laughs) if you don't know anything about toddlers, they are petri dishes of contagion with mm-hmm. legs and uh and so they just wander around the universe and pick up just disgusting germs and then bring them home to me wow so and then i catch them and of course you know my nephew gets sick for like a day and i'm just laid out for weeks just <laughs> laid out for weeks and green stuff coming out of my eyeballs and fun times and did you find out what it was that was causing the green stuff from your eyeballs it was rsv I don't know if you guys ha- uh, know have heard of RSV. I believe that is one third of the triple demic yes, that is happening correct. now. Yeah, yeah, and I can't believe like I was laid out harder with RSV than I was with COVID, than I was with the flu, anything else. Mm-hmm. RSV really kicked my booty. He caught RSV and was like, eh, "Not a big deal." 
real. And I caught RFC and was like, I'm going to die. Well, I'm going to die. How are you feeling die. now? I'm feeling much better. And I should say the stuff coming out of your eyes looks very natural Thank and not you. green color. So I think much. we're okay. Thank you. Yes. yes. Not a good yeah. time. All right. Not well, let's move on to something else. We're all happy that you're well. And thank, thank you. you so much for being here, Helen. <laughs> and let us stay healthy in the coming year. Woohoo! All right. Well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? He has won more money on Jeopardy than anyone in the show's history and can be seen knocking down challengers as the buzzsaw on the ABC game show The Chase. It's Brad Rutter! Brad Rutter, everyone! Hello, Brad. Welcome, Brad. It's nice to be here. Hi. It's wonderful to have you. Now, Brad, uh, your Jeopardy wins have included the Tournament of Champions, the Million Dollar Masters, the Ultimate Tournament of Champions, the Battle of the Decades, and as team captain, the All-Star Tournament, winnings totaling nearly $5 million. What? That uh, that sounds correct, yes. <laughs> wow. Even if that were half wrong, it would still be pretty good. Now, I saw on one of these that you won, I can't keep track of all of them, you were presented with an oversized check for $1 million on which you wrote your name. And I have to know, did you try to cash it? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, actually, they didn't even give it to me. What? until <laughs> Yes. They actually sent it to me later. They, they sent me home with an actual real uh, negotiable instrument. Yes. Okay. Uh, that was actually worth money. I can't remember whether I had uh, to ask them or they just sent it to me separately. The but. oversized one? Yes. And then uh, do it, you still have it? It's still in my possession. <gasps> wow. Very Is nice. it displayed prominently? It used to be in until I moved about five years ago, and I'm so lazy that I still have oh, it in the box. So I, would, I should get it out. I would attach it to the ceiling above my bed and just wake <laughs> up to every morning and go, ah, yes. Yeah. There it is. It's lovely to be in a position to not know where your million-dollar novelty <laughs> check is, isn't it? Uh, now, you're still in the stable of uh, Jeopardy! talent. You recently were used uh, for some clues on Celebrity Jeopardy. Yes, that was a lot of fun. ABC Synergy made mm -hmm. a category about the chase where right. you know certain clues were about uh, the, the, the responses would involve the chase or the clues were about the chase you mm -hmm. know Sam and P chase Got David it. chase that yes. kind of thing so that was a lot of fun speaking of celebrity game shows you appeared on the celebrity version of who wants to be a millionaire as a lifeline for a celebrity that I was a little surprised to see you with uh, yes for uh, Catherine O'Hara my dear friend <gasps> wow I now, love well, Catherine we're, we're, dear, we're dear friends now after okay. that okay yes. <laughs> how, how did that happen what was the connection yeah her yeah. people called my people that's really that was, it? that was it Catherine said hey find me somebody who can help me win and her publicist was like oh well let's uh, let's call some Jeopardy people what was the question do you remember so on the celebrity version of millionaire up until you get to 32,000 like you can help out on everything okay <laughs> so so I was there literally in studio with her oh yes it was the last thing the tape before everything shut down for COVID actually oh. so there was no audience nothing like that and so that's the reason that she hasn't continued to invite you over to exactly, social functions yes. you know we, we sort of yeah. lost uh, lost touch a little bit during COVID. I was surprised to learn that uh, despite all the winnings that you had, I saw in the interview that you said that studying probably doesn't help that much and that it's more maybe for psychological reasons that you study. In my experience, the stuff I've studied has never come up on Jeopardy, like an, a, an individual clue. Really? There's nothing, yeah. that, there's nothing that you've gotten right that said, oh, thank God I just memorized that last no, week. No, it's all been stuff that I've just happened across in my everyday intellectually curious life. But there's a few things that are that come up all the time on Jeopardy, like capitals, presidents, mm -hmm. Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Just going in knowing that you have all that stuff down really helps, you know, 
uh, helps you feel confident going up there. Because if they do ask about something like that, I'm still waiting for the first time, but I will have it right there. Do you feel like your brain only memorizes trivia and doesn't remember other like yes. other stuff at yes. the expense of memorizing? Absolutely, really? yes. Like uh, I'm terrible with names. Like I can't even remember what your name is. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> I think it's Helen. Oh, yes, okay, that good. sounds familiar. Yeah, give me points. I, I want a point. <laughs> uh, last thing I want to ask you about, uh, you pretty much are now a professional trivia expert. That is your, your line of work. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about what your life would be like if you didn't have big money quiz shows to go on? In my darker moments, I can let <laughs> okay, myself. Well, well, I'm definitely let, glad I brought it up now. Yeah, let my mind wander to what my <laughs> life would be like if I was like a lawyer or like working on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Which, like that would probably, those are right. probably the two most you'd, What you'd, did things. you study? In, like what was your intention to I be? was a history major and I was probably probably going to go to law school, yeah. But mm. then, uh, you know, I was in college in the late 90s, so I probably would have ended up consulting or something. Like, uh, yeah. 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 Then you might have ended up on game shows where you don't win any money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> well, we're so happy that you join us on this show, everybody. It's Brad Rutter. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Brad be competing? She has won as a contestant on game shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and The Chase, and can be seen knocking down challengers as the historian on the GSN game show Masterminds. It's Muffy Morocco. Muffy Morocco. Hey, Muffy. It's wonderful to have you here. Before we talk about your game show experience, I have to ask you about your name, because I understand that uh, your name and my cat's name are both (laughs) named for a delicious treat. Is your cat named Muffy as well? My cat is named Muffin, and then yeah. I'm not too ashamed to admit that often I will call her Muffy. That's fair. Yeah. When I was about two years old, my parents brought home some big blueberry muffins. I ate most of them. I was the little muffin monster, <gasps> and mm-hmm. uh, then I was Muffy the Toughy when I went through the terrible twos, mm-hmm. and it just kind of stuck from there. That wow. is adorable. It, they were like, earned. oh, you muffin monster, and then it just stuck. Yeah, it was a big Italian family, so I say I made out better than Uncle Chubby in the nickname department. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been cheesecake they brought home. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Muffy, like Brad, you have appeared on Jeopardy, but you were on a very uh, special edition of Jeopardy. I was in the teen tournament in... um. 1992. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you were into trivia at a very young age. I was. And it was uh, actually my brother had been on previously in 1989. And then I auditioned. I was only a sophomore in high school. I wish I had waited maybe to actually know more because it turns out 15 <laughs> year olds don't know a lot. No, I actually, I did pretty well. I had lost my game, but purely because I didn't bet enough money. Well, I don't know. I want to bring up a sore subject, but uh, after 30 years plus looking back on it now, because uh, I did watch that episode and you did very well, but yeah, you, you got the final Jeopardy. You just didn't quite bet enough. The tournament scenario is the four highest scoring non-winners mm-hmm. also get to move on to the next round. And when they brought up the category, it was astronomy. And I was like, I'm not going to know anything. Yeah. So I underbet so that if I Law, if I were wrong, I would still have a decent chunk of change. I see. So it turns out I was actually the alternate by like $500. So like if someone had died overnight, oh. not that I didn't try, <laughs> I would have gotten to go on. So instead I got to go to the studio the your next circle, day and watch everybody. Your circle of hitmen at 15 was yes. small. You didn't know I was like, how are, you, how are you feeling tonight, huh? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Brad looks nervous now. Uh, on Masterminds, you like Brad on The Chase are trying to prevent people from winning, trying to prevent people from, uh, from beating you on the show. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. All right. Uh, Now, you also are required to do some trash talking. Is that something that you enjoy? It's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. I'm not very competitive unless it's trivia. Then I will shiv you. Um, (laughs) Whoa! And and we've lost Brad. Okay. 
right. He I got himself from the table. I was frisked, Brad. It's fine. You're <laughs> safe. Okay. This is a safe. Ooh. This is a safe place. Mm-hmm. You know, but I do like to. But I also appreciate how nervous you are as a contestant because right. I've been on that side as well. In addition to all of these other trivia things, you now are doing a daily TikTok that is trivia related. Tell us about that. Yes, I am just that hip. Um, <laughs> I started. It was a friend suggested that I do it because I was sort of looking to, you know, just you know, make my own content. And Mm -hmm. so I create a quiz, six questions of increasing difficulty, six days a week. And And you're writing this yourself? I write it myself. And it's it's really hard to write good trivia questions. Yeah, but I noticed that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Jake knows nothing about that. And and especially, I try and make it, because it's TikTok, to try and be as global as possible. And that really Mm. knocks out a lot of questions where you're like, what state capital? Oh, no. Yeah. Do you call it Triv Talk? Oh, I do not. I should. You should. She does now. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, And what kind of interactions do you have with uh, viewers on TikTok when they uh, respond to you? Quite frankly, the only time I have been recognized in public was because of my TikTok. Okay. Not because of television. And I was out and somebody just said my name. And I was like, what? Who? who?" And they're like, I watch your TikTok. And I was like, (gasps) the thing that goes from my phone out to the world (laughs) is like in your head. And it was just very bewildering. Wow. Helen, we got to get a TikTok. I think I have one. Oh. (laughs) Follow me. Great. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) All right. Well, we're happy to have you for sure. Muffy Morocco, everyone. All right, Brad and Muffy, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Brad, you said you know a lot about the Wings album Band on the Run, the movie Dazed and Confused, and Super Bowl LII, which I recently learned is 52. Whereas Muffy, you said you know a lot about Best Picture Oscar winners of the 1990s, the cover of the Beatles album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and Dog Breeds of the AKC, which I recently learned stands for American Kennel Club. Duh. Later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect or incomplete answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, a para-para. First up in a para-para is Brad with para. Brad, since we are recording here at the Center for Inquiry, where they take a skeptical view of claims of the paranormal and supernatural, your question is, what's the difference between paranormal and supernatural? Ooh, that is tough, especially because Ghostbusters is one of my favorite movies, Mm. and I feel like Peter Venkman would be all over this. (laughs) I'm going to say that supernatural has to do with some sort of higher being, like a god Mm. or some such. Paranormal has more to do with, like, ghosts or, you know, spirits. Ghosts or spirits, which are not higher beings. Which are not higher beings. All right, we've got Brad's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Muffy, anything you'd like to add or change to Brad's answer? I'm trying to think of it etymologically. The paranormal is outside the normal, supernatural is above the natural. I would say, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it's paranormal does not behave according to rules that we expect, mm. and supernatural maybe does behave according to rules we expect, but it's just something that unexplained. All right, well, this segment is becoming unnatural and abnormal. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. The prefix para means next to or beyond current reach. The prefix super means above or superior to. So, paranormal describes a phenomenon that, if it's real, is a part of nature that we just haven't figured out yet, but maybe someday we will as scientific methods continue to develop. Supernatural describes a phenomenon that, 
if it's real, is not part of nature at all, and therefore can never be understood using scientific methods. That's right. Also, paranormal things tend to have some aspect in the physical world. Even something like mind reading, if real, could be proven scientifically by running double-blind experiments to see if thoughts are actually being transferred. But a supernatural being works in mysterious ways above the natural plane and cannot be reached by us mere mortals, as evidenced by the Angels baseball team not winning a playoff game since 2009, <laughs> despite my many, many prayers and having Mike Trout. Helen, how did our guest do? You know, I think I'm going to give you both half a point. Yeah, because Brad, you did say supernatural is about a higher being or a god, which is, you know, not, we'll never understand that. And then, uh, Muffy, you got the etymology of para and su supernatural. So I'll half a point for both of you. Half a point for each. There you go. Hooray! All right, up next in Para Para is Muffy with Para. Muffy, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have an in-person listener question. Listeners, if you would like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Hi, oh, listener. Hello, listener. Hello. You look familiar. Interesting. <laughs> Who are you and what's your question? My name is Sarah Rodenma from Los Angeles. And my question for what's the difference is, while both might help prevent you from crossing over to the other side, what's the difference between a paramedic and an EMT? Oh, thank you. No, Sarah, you do look familiar. Have we met before? I feel like we might have seen each other crossing the hallway at our home. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I believe you. I believe we are engaged to be married. Oh yeah. Yes, this is my fiance Sarah. <laughs> no, don't go, go, honey. I'm saying, but I, I want to say this is this is not a uh, a Lucy and Ricky effort in, to be on the show. You actually legitimately came up with this question recently. I did. I yeah. was listening to something, and oh, it was a, an audio book, and they mentioned the paramedic and EMT, and I was like, you know what? What's the difference? Well, we're going to find out <laughs> thanks to you. Sarah Rodenbaugh, everybody. Thank you for being here. All right, Muffy, you did hear Sarah. What is the difference between a paramedic and an EMT? I think a paramedic is partially medic. So I was going to say, I feel like they're able to treat you in certain limited ways. I feel mm -hmm. like an emergency medical technician, EMT, is only there to stabilize you to then get you to a hospital. All right, we've got Muffy's answer. Anything you'd like to add or change to that, Brad? I'm actually a trained EMT. Are you really? Yes, although, th th so this is true as of 20 years ago. It may not okay. longer be true. <laughs> okay. But Muffy is correct, but specifically, the main difference is that an EMT is allowed to use the AED device, and mm. the paramedic can use the actual paddles that you rub together and then to start somebody's heart, and a paramedic is also allowed to intubate. Okay, but that's as of 20 years ago. That's as of 20 so, years ago. So, yeah, maybe now you have to, you know, have Bluetooth or something yeah, to do that. Know, yeah. But, uh, All right, well, this segment needs to be revived. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. They both respond to an emergency, but the difference is a paramedic is certified to perform more medical procedures than an emergency medical technician, a.k.a. EMT, because a paramedic has had much more training than an EMT. And while regulations vary from state to state, usually an EMT can administer CPR, deliver babies, stabilize broken bones, and even deliver some medications, but a paramedic can do all of these things plus perform tracheotomies, interpret EKGs, and more. That's right. Now, a paramedic generally is required to have at least 10 times more hours of education than an EMT, and some paramedic training programs often require that you have worked as an EMT before you're accepted into their program. Paramedics also 
usually paid significantly more than EMTs, but they both make more than Helen and I make on this show. Sarah, I'm sorry that you are still marrying me despite that. Helen, how did our guest do? I'm going to give you each one point. All right. One point to each of you. Very good. What is her score at the end of that round, Helen? At the end of that round, Brad Rutter has a point and a half, and Muffy Morocco also has a point and a half. Oh, very good. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, it's Jake Keith here. While we have a little break in the show, wanted to let you know, in case you didn't already, we've got new merchandise. We've got updated T-shaped shirts. We've got brand new mugs in two, count them, two different sizes. And boy, could we use your support. If you want to get some of that new stuff, check it out at maxfunstore.com. That's maxfunstore.com and search for Go Fact Yourself. Thanks so much. We actually put a lot of work into designing these and we hope you enjoy it. And uh, if these go well... Maybe we'll get some new exciting products later in the year. That's it. I mean, if you want to enjoy some Magic Spoon or Butcher Box, uh, you're welcome to, but you're not paying us this week. They can be anywhere, at your office, in your car, and they are wrong. My mom says that the Grey House didn't exist, but she's wrong. He just does it wrong. Someone in your life is wrong about something. Something small, something weird, something vitally important. Only one person has the courage to tell them just how wrong they are. You know what you did was wrong, but your daughter is a liar who eats garbage. (laughs) They call me Judge John Hodgman. Listen to me on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. If someone in your life is doing you wrong, don't just take it. Take it to court. Submit your case at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Brad Rutter and Muffy Morocco. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. All right, Brad, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the Wings album Band on the Run, the movie Dazed and Confused, and Super Bowl 52. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what the Wings album Band on the Run means to you. Well, I've been a Beatles fan basically my whole life. I love George's solo stuff. I love John's solo stuff. I love Ringo's solo stuff. But I got to say that Paul's solo stuff is the best of the four. And what is it about that particular album that speaks to you, do you think? Band of the Run is definitely the most accessible. And it was his first big, you know, pop and critical success after the Beatles. Have you seen him perform? I have. I went uh, to see him at SoFi last summer. And are you the one shouting, play more Wings stuff? That is, that definitely is me. (laughs) In fact, my girlfriend is here. And she can attest to the fact that I was freaking out when he was playing Wingstop. And you're like, hey, Jude. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. I want 1985. (laughs) Brad, you also said you know and love the movie Dazed and Confused. This movie came along at exactly the right time for me. It came out in 1993 when I was 15 years old. Mm. Going to college in the 90s, there was a thing where everybody would have like four or five VHS tapes Mm -hmm. to play in their combination TV VCR. (laughs) And... One of the ones I had was Dazed and Confused, and I swear to God, we watched that movie 200 times. Oh, wow. <gasps> you know, we were lame enough that uh, there may even have been some uh, joint subcommittee meetings on the 50-yard line uh, at our college. Oh, so, wow. As yeah. inspired by the film. As inspired by the film. All right. And then finally, Brad, tell us what Super Bowl 52 means to you. 
I've also been an Eagles fan my whole life. Mm-hmm. They did get to the Super Bowl in 2004, actually 2005 after the 2004 season, and lost a, a heartbreaker to the New England Patriots. And then finally, in 2017 season, they were the best team in the league all year. And they got to the Super Bowl again against the New England Patriots. Oh, my. We went in as four-and-a-half-point underdogs, and uh, underdogs throughout the entire postseason that year. Well, well, Helen, clearly they couldn't have won that game. They could not have won that game, could they? They won that game. Oh, my God. Literally. Wow. 41-33. Go, birds. (laughs) Fly, Eagles, fly. And that, that meant a lot to you, is what I guess we were getting at. Yes. Okay, great. So to summarize, Brad, you said you know a lot about the Wings album, Band on the Run, the movie Dazed and Confused, and Super Bowl 52. Today we're going to quiz you about the movie Dazed and Confused. <laughs> Audience happy about that. Now, I saw an interview. You've described yourself as a slacker in high school. Is that, you think, one of the reasons that you related to uh, the film? Yes, absolutely. In what ways were you a slacker? I didn't really work too hard. I didn't really have to. I I think I was 10th in my class without ever cracking a book outside of... Again, there's that absorbing info part thing. Yeah. Uh, Is there a character from the film that you relate to most? Uh, I'd like to say Randall Pink Floyd, but uh, I think I'm probably more of a Don Dawson. More of a Don Dawson. Okay. And remind me who, who was who played Don Dawson? Sasha Jensen played Don Dawson. Okay. He was sort of the rowdy, uh, sarcastic football player. Got it. I'm ashamed to tell you I've never seen the movie. What? I know. Are you going to leave? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, Are you going to flip a table and leave? Uh, what, I, I was considering doing both those things. What would be your elevator pitch to someone like Helen yeah. who's not seen the movie, why they should see it? It's a slice of life about uh, you know high school and friendship and, and, and how those things intertwine and a period piece. It's, it's, it's really enjoyable. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with an expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Brad, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Muffy, do listen closely because if Brad answers incorrectly, you can steal. Muffy, by the way, how much do you know about the movie Dazed and Confused? I saw it once. All right. <laughs> a, a very good test of the uh, absorption and recall uh, <laughs> phenomenon. We'll see if uh, Brad gives you that opportunity. Here's question number one. Early in the movie, two of the smarter guys in the film are referred to by the names of two journalists <laughs> who are portrayed on the screen the same year that Dazed and Confused takes place. Who are they? Woodward Bernstein. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. We're on our way. Fun fact, Anthony Rapp is the actor playing one of those smart guys. Both he and Bob Woodward have appeared on Go Fact Yourself. Oh. I'm glad at least Brad was impressed. (laughs) Here's question number two. The film features some future Oscar winners early in their careers. Besides Ben Affleck and Matthew McConaughey, what performer who won for Best Supporting Actress in 2004 and Best Actress in 2020 has an uncredited role, including in one scene where she holds a beer funnel? That would be Renee Zellweger. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct for another point. Very good. Easy peasy. Fun fact, Matthew McConaughey won for Best Actor in Dallas Buyers Club. Ben Affleck has won for Best Screenplay and Best Picture. All right, Brad, you're two for two. Here is question number three. The film features many classic rock hits from many artists, but not as many artists as you might think. In fact, several artists have more than one song in the film. But which of the following has only one? Is it Peter Frampton, ZZ Top, Fog Hat, Leonard Skinnerd, or Black Oak, Arkansas? Leonard Skinnerd. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> wow. wow. 
Can I ask what your uh, process was in uh, deducing that? Uh, it's just Tuesdays gone, and I was going through. It's like, and I was thinking Black Oak, Arkansas. Like that seems like they'd only have one, but they did have two. I can't yeah. remember which two. Um, Frampton clearly had to uh, show me the way. And uh, do you feel like we do? ZZ Top definitely had to. That yes, one. they had Tush and uh, yes, Balinese. And Balinese yeah. Yes, uh, Leonard Skinner's only one was Tuesdays Gone. Ted Nugent and War also have multiple songs uh, in the movie. Black Oak, Arkansas. It was Jim Dandy and Lord Have Mercy on yes. My Soul. All right, Brad, you are three for three. You still have your two hints available. Question number four. Days and Confused takes place over the course of the last day of school, specifically as early on-screen text notes on May 28th, 1976. At what time does this text say the film occurs? Ooh, I'm going to need the hint for this one. Helen, how about that first hint? It's the same number as an interstate freeway in Los Angeles that goes from the 1 to the 605. Uh, Probably the most L.A. hint yes. we've ever given on the show, by the way. <laughs> so I believe that is the 105. So 105 p.m. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. That's wow. the use of the hint. Very good job, Brad. Uh, fun fact, in an earlier draft of the screenplay, the time was 12.55, but uh, it's nice that they move things along by uh, 10 minutes. By the way, the week before the movie takes place, the number one movie at the U.S. box office was... All the President's Men, featuring Woodburn and Bernstein. All right, Brad, you have a chance to go five for five. You can get this question correct. Days and Confused is a period piece, as you said, in fact. And what helps set the period is the opening titles. According to the online magazine Art of the Title, what era-appropriate typeface is used in the opening titles? Wow. Uh, I mean, I could picture it very clearly, but uh, and I'm sure it has a name, but I have no idea what it is, so I'm going to need the hint here, too. Helen, how about that second hint? Will Brad get this answer correct? <laughs> Signs point to yes. Actually, that's a, the hint really helped me out because now I have heard that. It's Magic 8-Ball. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. It's Woo! called 8-Ball, but uh, yeah. we'll give it to you with Magic. Brad Rudder is 5 for 5, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. Fun fact, Art of the Title says that according to writer-director Richard Linklater, the initial idea for the title sequence, a slow-motion shot of a Pontiac GTO set to Aerosmith, popped into his head while he was getting a root canal... <laughs> Presumably under the influence of drugs. Very fitting for the film. Brad, you obviously did very well in that quiz, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Nice. Nice. (laughs) We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. One of the more sympathetic characters in the movie is a young man named Mitch who unsuccessfully tries to avoid being spanked with a paddle by Ben Affleck. Don't we all? <laughs> Affleck's character eventually catches up with him after Mitch pitches a baseball game, paddling him while still in his uniform. But Mitch seems to end up okay in the movie, having met and made out with a nice young lady and not getting in trouble with his mom when he gets home after sunrise. So, for up to three points, what team name and number is on Mitch's uniform? By what name does Mitch's mom call him when he returns home after sunrise? And... Who played Mitch? Mitch was played by Wiley Wiggins. His mom calls him Kiddo. He was on the Braves. The number, good God. Um, (laughs) I think think we may have finally stumped Brad Rutter. I'm going to say he was number 12. Number 12. All right. Well, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand. You can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an artist, animator, designer, and actor who appeared as Mitch in Dazed and Confused. It's Wiley Wiggins! Wiley Wiggins, everybody! Hello! Hello, welcome! 
Hi, Brad. It's me, former Eagles quarterback Paul McCartney. <laughs> I appreciate you're trying to blend our other topics of Brad's, but we are going to be talking about Dazed and Confused. Welcome, oh, Wiley. Oh, no. We'll talk about some other stuff as well. Wiley, it's so wonderful that you're here. I think a lot of people are surprised that you're here. We don't think of you as someone who lives in L.A. Tell us why you're in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm here. I'm in graduate school right now at UCLA in their design media arts department. Oh, Very cool. Right. I got six months left to go, uh, go Bruins. <laughs> Very good. Uh, you're working on your master's, I understand. Yes. Very cool. So I'll be a, a, a washing dishes shortly after that. <laughs> well, before we get to that, let's talk about some of the work that you're doing in that field. You mentioned to me that you were working on a video game using genealogical data. That sounds fascinating. How, how do those uh, blend? Basically, you export your data from the big genealogy sites like Ancestry, mm -hmm. and then my game will turn your family into a dungeon. Which may be a little on the nose, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I already grew up Being with my... Being Korean, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about some of your acting work. In addition to Days and Confused, people remember you from uh, projects such as Love in a 45, Boys, The Faculty, Waking Life. But uh, Days and Confused was your first acting credit. And I understand you got involved because of a leaflet? Yeah, the co-producer, Ann Walker McBay, was trolling the drag, which is the area out in front of the University of Texas, handing out leaflets to people with long hair. And I had long hair and funny names. <laughs> So here I am. Were they specifically looking for you for that role or just in general to be in the film? No, they were casting extras mostly in Austin. I just kind of got lucky. Wow. How old were you at the time? Uh, 15 years old. Wow. wow. Which is so. the same age that Brad was when he, yeah. he watched the film. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you guys must have a similar kind of uh, experience in that yeah, way. Yeah, definitely. Were you from remembered for the rest of your life for a summer job that you had when you were 15 where you, <laughs> where you touched your face too much? <laughs> I do touch my face too much, but I, I get your point. My brother. I imagine it must have been a very interesting experience making that film because you were around a lot of other young people, but you were living at home and going to a set, whereas they were, what, in, in hotels or houses together? Yeah, all of the real actors from Hollywood were hanging out in a hotel and smoking dope and, and having affairs with one another, and I was still going to high school, so. What was it like being with cast members who were going to have scenes where they paddled you, where they were they were trying to beat you up? Utterly terrifying. Yeah? They, they were hitting a board that was sort of like staged behind me. But mm -hmm. yeah, those guys got really amped up. Uh, yeah? Cole Hauser, terrifying. Just He was like getting red and sort of like jumping around and it was very primal and yeah, it was upsetting. You actually knew the co-star that you had to make out with before you had done that scene? Oh yeah, the girl that played Julie, I think is the character's mm -hmm. name. Yes. Was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Extra Brad points. is definitive. Yeah. She was friends with my older stepsister, and yeah, making out with her was really awkward. Yeah, well, and back then I don't, I don't think they had intimacy coordinators or anything like that. No, yeah, yeah, I, they, we probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to ask you about the baseball scene uh, that we asked in our question. You said that you maybe exaggerated about your ability to play baseball. Yeah, I was asked at the auditions whether I had pitched before, and I, I, I lied and I said yes. I, I never touched a baseball in my entire life. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which meant that when we filmed the actual scene, they had to switch from me to a stunt double, a little eager with a wig on, mm -hmm. but there was an entire team of Little Leaguer extras that were mocking me while I tried to no! do the wild. Oh, oh, no! Were, were they requesting a belly itcher instead of a uh, pitcher? Yeah, yeah, scarred for life. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you, you, you've you talked about some of the maybe not as fun parts of it, and you actually had said in an interview in 2020 that you were completely ready to never talk about Dazed and Confused again. Yet here I am. And yet here you are. Well, I'm, I'm curious, what, what made you feel that you were ready never to talk about it, and, and uh, why are you still willing to? My my mother is an obsessive Jeopardy fan. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll be getting a picture together. <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. Last thing I want to ask you about before we get to the game part. Um, one of the other jobs that you've had, uh, you worked in tech support. Do you have any horror stories or funny stories about uh, you know, ridiculous questions or scenarios that you ended up with? Funny, you would ask. When I was in tech support at Apple Computer, Jason London, my co-star, called me up needing help with his MacBook. Yeah, I, that, I legit, that really I legit did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He was like, Wiley? You're a Mac genius? And I'm like, no, Jason, they don't call us Mac geniuses here. I'm an Apple Care Pro specialist. <laughs> I had no idea. Let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Brad. First, we wanted to know for that character named Mitch, what was the team name and uniform number that he wore when he pitched in that baseball scene? Helen, what did Brad say? Brad said Braves number 12. And Wiley? Uh, it was Braves number 30. Ah, half a point there for I Brad. didn't even know that. I was going to say that as well. One plus two equals three plus zero. I think I should get partial credit. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not go numerology yourself. That's <laughs> no, not the thing. Well, I'm glad we found one that not only did Brad not know, but you did not remember as well. Half a point there for Brad. Next, we wanted to know what did Mitch's mother call him when he got home after his long night away? Helen, what did Brad say? Brad said kiddo. And uh, Wiley? Our judges were looking for Mitchell, but... My mother did also call me kiddo, so I'd advise them to give him the point. Oh, All right. Well, you're our expert, okay. so we're going to give him a point for Brad. Very yeah. good. Uh, yes, Mitchell was what we were looking for, but uh, did say kiddo, for, so another point for Brad. Very good. And finally, we wanted to know who could it possibly have been who played Mitch in Days and Confused. Helen, what did Brad say? Brad said Wiley Wiggins. And sir? The internet says Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But you, as our expert, say... I say Wiley Wiggins. You say Wiley Wiggins. Very good. Brad, while we have Wiley Wiggins here, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to him? So I just want to say that movie has been a huge part of my life. And uh, I I know you're sick of it, but do realize that it it has made people's lives immeasurably better. Well, thank you. I'm not sick of hearing that. Wiley, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Oh, uh, WileyWiggins.com. He said it. It's Wiley Wiggins. Thank you so much for being here. Wiley Wiggins, everybody. What a treat. Helen, what is our score at the end of that exciting round? At the end of that round, Brad Rutter has nine points, and Muffy Morocco has a point and a half with a round of questions for Muffy coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Muffy about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Brad and Muffy will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hi, I'm Ketchup. And I'm Socks. And I'm Ball Bearings. And I'm Pigeons. And I'm Water Towers. And I'm Cardboard? Surprise! We're actually humans. Humans making a podcast about those kinds of topics. Because those are real episode topics on the podcast, secretly incredibly fascinating. That's a podcast where we take ordinary seeming things like ketchup and socks and cardboard and bring you the little known history and science and stories that make those things secretly incredibly fascinating. Secretly incredibly fascinating! The title of the podcast. Hear the back catalog anytime and hear new amazing episodes every Monday at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Brad Rutter and Muffy Morocco. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. 
All right, Muffy, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Best Picture Oscar winners of the 1990s, the cover of the Beatles album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and Dog Breeds of the American Kennel Club. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what Best Picture Oscar winners of the 1990s means to you. Well, that's when I was a teenager and I first started to get into movies and go out and be able to see them myself. It's when I would watch the Oscars with them like you know, like my little checklist and write everything down. So it's a time when I was really passionate about something. What checklist? Oh, I would, you know, I would write down like what I, who I thought was going to win. Oh, okay. I would put, we would have like a family Oscar pool and I'd put in like two, do- like I'd do <gasps> two ballots because I'd be like, I don't know, it could go either way. <laughs> did you uh, ever win? I did win. Nice. It was, it was like did you win a lot? It was like $4. Well, more than I won. All right, next, tell us what the cover of the Beatles album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band means to you. Well, strangely, like Brad, I'm also a very big Beatles fan. It was, again, that same time period. It was about all I listened to, and I just loved the cover. My parents had the original vinyl album, and that was something, and I just love the different pictures, who are they, how they brought it together. So it's just one of those, it's a, you know, just a very cool artifact. What stands out to you about that cover that uh, you think is particularly cool or interesting? I think my favorite part of the cover would be the four wax figurines of the young mop top beetles that they mm-hmm. put next to themselves. It was, it was a very good little tongue in cheek statement. Do your parents still have it? Probably not. We've moved a couple times and things have been lost. So Aww. I don't know. Bummer. Well, maybe it's in the same box as Brad's oversized novelty check. Who knows? <laughs> All right. And then finally, Muffy, you said you know a lot about dog breeds of the American Kennel Club. So around the time that I was first acquiring the nickname Muffy, I was also obsessed with dogs. I used to, I, my parents wouldn't let me have one, so I used to pretend to be one. Oh, <laughs> that did not come up in my research. No, yeah. I would crawl around and bark and, you know, like drink water from bowl and say to my mother, say to my mom, like mother, like dogger, ar, ar, ar. <laughs> um, And so I've just always loved dogs. I have three of my own, but they're all mutts. But I love watching the dog show and just the different breeds and they're very fancy looks when they have the dog show going on, Joe. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to summarize, Muffy, you said you know a lot about Best Picture Oscar winners of the 1990s, the cover of the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and Dog Breeds of the American Kennel Club. Today, we're going to quiz you about Best Picture Oscar winners of the 1990s. Now, well, why not before the 90s or after the 90s? What is it about the 90s that appeals to you so much? I was too young in the 80s, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, working and sort of too busy in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And the 90s, I was obsessed. I was like a teenager in a college, yeah. and I think I saw everything. Oh, great. Mm. Uh, do you have a favorite of the Best Picture winners from that decade? I think of that decade, it might be it might be The English Patient. The English Patient. Okay. That's a controversial opinion. A lot of people, that's their least favorite of the it, 90s. I guess it, was, it was one that's kind of grown on me over the years, like rewatching it. All right. Yeah. Very good. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject but before that to let you show your love here are five trivia questions about your topic each worth a point if you want it you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions now by the way when we uh, say dates in this quiz we're going to be going by the ceremony so the movies that were awarded the oscar from 1990 to 1999 uh brad do listen closely because if muffy answers incorrectly you can steal brad by the way how much do you know about best picture oscar winners of the 1990s well, I will say that the 1990s are my, by far my strongest uh, Oscar decade okay. uh, for similar reasons as Muffy. Um, you know, we're about the same age. So, yeah, I was, uh, you know, old enough to realize what was going on, but young enough that I didn't really have anything else to do. All right. And, and how much did you win betting on Oscar predictions? Zero. So oh, she's okay. got me there. All right. Well, Muffy, let's see if you can ride that confident wave to victory. Here's question number one. 
Of all the movies awarded Best Picture in the 1990s, only one has a title that included something other than a letter or a space, the winner from 1994. What punctuation mark will you find in that film's title? Wait, so this is 1994 is the film that was released in 93? and Correct. The award is mm-hmm. 1994. So 1993 is Schindler's List, so that's an apostrophe. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Uh, Fun fact, a handful of other Best Picture winners have included an apostrophe, including You Can't Take It With You, and most recently, The King's Speech. Probably one of the most boring aspects of Oscars history, (laughs) the punctuation. Glad we let off with that. I'm into it. My license plate is my favorite punctuation, M dashes. Oh, very nice. Here's question number two. Only one picture on the list of Best Picture winners of the 1990s is a romantic comedy. In what century does it take place? Well, that would be Shakespeare in Love, and it is set, I guess, in the 16th century. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Two for two. Fun fact, almost all of the Best Picture winners of the 1990s were period pieces, including Braveheart, The English Patient, and Unforgiven. Days to Confuse, Unforgivably Looked Over. (laughs) Not by you. Yes. (laughs) All right, here's question number three. In 1995's Best Picture, Forrest Gump decides to go for a run and keeps running for three years, two months, 14 days, and 16 hours. This sequence includes several of the soundtrack's classic songs, but which of the following tracks does not appear in the running montage? Is it Running on Empty, It Keeps You Running, On the Road Again, Don't Stop Me Now, or I've got to use my imagination. I would say this is not on my list of my favorite Best Picture winners, uh, but I have did see part of it recently. I'm going to go with Running on Empty. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry, Brad, with a chance to steal. That's the one I did know definitely was in it. This is p- mostly a guess, but I, I don't remember Don't Stop Me Now in it. Is that your That's answer? That's my answer. Helen? That is correct. Brad with Ooh, successful steal. Wow. That's correct. Fun fact, the sequence also includes Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way, which is one of the 17 songs that are included in the film, but not on the initial soundtrack release. All right, successful steal from Brad. Let's see if you can bounce back with question number four. You do have your hints available. That's true. In the 1990s, only one time was the Oscar for Best Picture presented by the person who had won it the year before. Who was this Oscar-winning presenter who would go on to win another Oscar for Best Picture in the 2000s? Could use the hint, but I'm going to just... Not to be that person. Is it, oh. is it Clint Eastwood? Helen? That is correct. She is that person. Wow. I'm, sh- I'm sharpening my shiv. <laughs> Look out, you're going to get shivved. Fun fact, Clint Eastwood won in 1993 for Unforgiven, presented the award in 1994. He won in 2005 for Million Dollar Baby. Bonus fun fact, Clint Eastwood shared his first big screen kiss with Carol Channing in the movie The First Traveling Sales Lady. Has nothing to do with the 90s, but it is a fun fact. That is a fun fact. Yeah. I could have done another one about an apostrophe, but I thought I'd save it for, <laughs> no, for this one. No, less fun. All right. Muffy, here's question number five. It's a close battle for which best picture of the 1990s is the longest, with the listed running times for Schindler's List and Titanic's original theatrical releases coming within one minute of each other. Within five minutes, what is the running time for the longer of these two films? Oh, gosh. All right. I'm going to need the hint on this one. Helen, how about that hint? It's 11,700 seconds. (laughs) She's giving us the look of death. (laughs) That's not so hinty. I was told there would be no math. Um, (laughs) I don't believe anyone told you that. (laughs) 
I was hoping there would be no math. Ah, that sounds more accurate, yes. All right, I'm going to think it's about three hours. So I'll just say 191 minutes. Helen? That is correct. Yes, it is within the range. Very nice. You did it with some math, yes. Uh, it is 195 minutes, or three hours and 15 minutes, so correct within five minutes. Fun fact, Schindler's List comes in at three hours, 15 minutes. Titanic, by comparison, a breezy three hours, 14 minutes. Marty, by the way, is the shortest ever best picture at an hour 31. Lawrence of Arabia is the longest, clocking in at three hours and 48 minutes, not counting the bonus footage. <laughs> Who was sitting in the theater for three hours and 48 minutes? There's Someone with a babysitter, I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> there is an intermission. There, there is, is an okay, intermission. Yeah. I actually uh, once watched all of Lawrence of Arabia on DVD while assembling an Ikea desk. <laughs> which, which finished first? <laughs> the movie. The, okay. <laughs> all right, Muffy did quite well in that round, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Ooh. Awesome. We'll be bringing an expert to discuss your response. Muffy, in 1992, The Silence of the Lambs became only the third film ever to win the Big Five Oscars, Best Actor, Actress, Screenplay, Director, and Picture, and was nominated in two other categories. One of the wins went to a person named Ed Saxon, who also served as a model for a character in the film named Benjamin Raspail. For up to three points, what was one of the two categories for which The Silence of the Lambs was nominated but didn't win? In what category did Ed Saxon win? And where in the movie does the character modeled after him appear? Benjamin Raspail, I believe, is... Oh, I can recollect the name from the movie. And I want to say he's the killer's first victim, the one who's in the garage. Mm -hmm. And then Ed Saxon. So he would have won for... Best picture in, okay. in, pr in producing it. Okay. And then we're looking for one of the two categories in which the movie was nominated but did not win. And then I would say that it would have been nominated for editing but not won. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is the chair of the graduate producing program at USC, whose films have earned eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture for The Silence of the Lambs. It's Ed Saxon. Ed Saxon. <laughs> Hello! Lovely to meet you. Hi. Hello, welcome. Do we call you Professor Saxon? You, 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 that'll work. Okay, very good. That Excellent. Just call me Ed. Excellent, Ed. Too. Thank you so much for being here. Now, uh, some of your other works uh, include Philadelphia, Adaptation, Something Wild, That Thing You Do, Yuli's Gold, Devil in a Blue Dress, and Beloved, and TV shows like Enlightened and Ray Donovan. What a Whoa. wonderful career, Ed Saxon. And before we talk about those, you actually also worked with Richard Linklater, who we talked about in our previous segment. Yeah, I got to go to Austin and be an executive producer on Fast Food Nation. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about working on Fast Food Nation was uh, Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette are in Fast Food Nation. And so Rick was taking our equipment and filming Boyhood, if, any, if you all know that. <gasps> sure. Oh, my goodness. Uh, on the That's weekends, crazy. he invited, I think, all of the producers who didn't know that he was taking the equipment and shooting a different movie. <laughs> so you ended um, up producing two movies that time. Uh, yeah, yeah that without time. credit, but I, was I, I love that picture, so I was really happy about it. So first of all, at USC, you are a graduate of the producing program that you are now the chair of, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's it. How I went, about that? I went, to, I went to learn it there. I didn't know, and I was from St. Louis, and I didn't know anybody, and I knew a, a guy who managed a theater. So I thought, 
better go to school for this. Yeah. And uh, it worked out. How do you teach wow. producing? What aspects of producing do you teach there? We teach what they call creative producing. So okay. that's everything from finding the script or the story idea all the way through to the advertising after it's all done and collecting the money. Okay. So it's <laughs> the person who the movie wouldn't get made without them. Right. They caused the film to get made. And, and usually that starts with story. So we teach a lot of what makes a good story and how much should it cost. And Yeah. Stuff well, like I've that. noticed a lot of the films that you've done that have been successful have been adapted from books. Is there a special skill or talent that comes with that? Hire a great screenwriter. That's it. Okay. That's, that's the best. <laughs> Always hire great people, and it all gets a lot easier. So in that process, say you have a book that you want to adapt, and then you have a stable of screenwriters that you know are solid, and you go, yo, bro, or sis. <laughs> Can you take this book and make a fire screenplay? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Those you know, exact you words usually too, say, yes. make it fire. Yeah. That's it. I had a t-shirt. I didn't really talk in most of the meetings. It just said, make it fire, baby. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for another professor, Helen apparently yeah, is ready apparently. to teach that adaptation All set. course. If you just can get the shirts, fire. we're set. Well, let's talk about Silence of the Lambs, which won you that Best Picture Oscar. How did you get involved with producing that film? You know, that film was supposed to be directed by Gene Hackman. Oh, wow. And he was what? supposed to play Hannibal Lecter. No! He was, and, and Gene had a bad divorce and he needed acting money. Because when you work on a film as a director, you have to work like a whole year on it. Mm -hmm. and, and and so he decided it was a bad financial decision. And this was true of other people, that, that the material was just a little too tough for him mm. for his first picture. Mm -hmm. When Gene pulled out, we, there was a studio we liked working with, Orion Pictures, and we wanted them to make a different film. And they said... The script's coming in on this one. We think it might be better than the one you want us to make. Will you read it? And we read the book and said, well, we could, we could make this movie with a highlighter in the book. Mm. So we can't <gasps> wait to see this screenplay. Wow. Whoa. So, you, so the book is like fire. The book is fought exactly. In fact, I, I, if I was in publishing, I would have the same shirt. Yeah. And, and you were like, yo, this is going to make a fire movie. And Jonathan Demme was like, I will direct it. Yes. 100%. Very cool. Now, you had worked with Jonathan Demme a lot before. You actually uh, described him as being a mentor of yours. Can you tell us about what that relationship was like? Yeah. I'm, I'm the big brother to seven brothers and sisters, but the um, I'm the biggest, so he mm. was the big brother I needed. And, yeah. uh, and we just had a great time. It was one of those things, I don't know, you know when you meet people, you decide, that it's like, Oh, I like the music you listen to. You like White Castles, you know, and it was like, and the same movies too. Yeah. And so, uh, and he he wanted to control his destiny more. And producers help that when people can produce their own films with partners, it mm. helps uh, directors control their own destiny. Mm. Were there times as the producer that he made choices where you were like, I don't know about that? Oh my God. When, you know, it's a pretty famous movie, so you might remember that there's a, there is the scene about the lambs, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Clarice of the lamb stuff screaming. Yes. Yes. That scene with Hannibal Lecter. Well, Jonathan it, like shot about half the scene on a close-up like this, and, and we had no coverage. Mm. And the day I watched the footage that we'd shot, I, I was like, oh, this is Little Red Riding, a bad version of Little Red Riding Hood. Mm. But that happens periodically, just like when you're married and other times you go, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so. Well, it's a miracle that any film gets made, let alone that any film is good or great. Um, were, were there key decisions that you look back on on Silence of the Lambs that, mm. that, that made it what, it what it was? You know, Jodie Foster, when she came on, said, I think this is a film about a woman saving another woman and taking on the patriarchy. 
And so um, I'd say, if anything, it was that idea that we, you know we're trying to save somebody here, mm. and 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 looking at it from through Clarice's eyes as much as possible. I will say that it, The Silence of the Lambs is one of my probably top five favorite films, like for real, legit. And that is one of the reasons why I love it. Is it's a feminist picture? Yeah. It really is. And it, you know, and it, it's, it's this young woman, and he, you know, and he says like she's she comes from white trash, and, and you're just so rooting for her, you know, even though she's this young, like she's still in school and she doesn't, she does make mistakes and stuff, but she follows her instincts, and that's kind of what solves the crime at the end. And I'm just like, yes, yeah. Well, we surround, you know, there's there's shots when she's in the elevator, it's all men and her, yeah. And we went down to the F. One of the jobs of a producer is to say, will the FBI let us shoot this at Quantico? Mm. And when we you went to when we went to the FBI, it was a lot of guys and mm-hmm. not a lot of, course, of course. women or you know. And the bureau said, "We need more. We'd like to have more women." And so the reason that they cooperated with us was because they wanted more women in the bureau, and it worked. Wow! They wow. got a lot more applications after the picture was. Wow! Uh, well, let's talk about the Oscars, which is a part of the topic uh, that we're here to do. What was your Oscars experience? What you know? They, they, it's funny. They just had the Golden Globes this week. We'd go, come out for the Golden Globes, and Jody was the only person who won. Oh wow! Right. So that. so we went to the Oscars. We'd won some critics awards, so mm. we were like comfortable in that space. Yeah, but we went fully expect. I mean, I wore my magic underwear, but we, <laughs> <laughs> but but we went fully expecting. Yeah, that Jody was going to win, and Nick Nolte was going to win for Prince of Tides, uh-huh. and you know we just didn't expect to win. And then this this kind of train started rolling where they were calling our, your friends' names, and Best Pictures the last one of the night, and it was a very good. Oscar and that it was Billy Crystal and it was fun yeah. and all that. The most fun are when you get surprises and good news. Mm-hmm. And the magic so, underwear worked. The magic underwear worked. And I <laughs> kept it until it got so ratty that I finally said I can't. I can't. Oh, no. It's not underwear anymore. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's important for magic that's underwear you, to be underwear. Yeah, that's I think when that's you true. cut it up and turn it into like yes. a hanky. Yeah, I may like I may pocket. have I may have it. Yeah. it had, the underwear had uh, had butterflies and moths on it so <gasps> appropriate for silence of the yes, lambs with the yes, moths and that whole thing yes yeah. uh, i understand you brought a little special guest yes for us tonight. i did i brought my uncle this is what they guess oh is what oh! an academy award for best picture this is uh elizabeth uh elizabeth taylor and paul newman you know not a bad there, uh, presenting pair for you and there. um and and there was a party and they they gave it to me and i was of course like this is fun. Yeah. And the um, Wait, that's a legit Oscar. You just whipped out a legit yeah. Oscar that's from, your, from we, your tote bag. Yeah, we've had a lot of Oscar winners on the show. You're the first one to bring one. We really <laughs> well, appreciate come on. that. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. So so uh so we go out that night, go to, I go to parties and things there was a at Spago, the old Spago was yeah. like the party. And uh I show up with my wife and we show up at this party and I've got the Oscar. And they go you're not on the list and I said <laughs> yeah and, uh, <laughs> pointing at your Oscar yeah and then a guy comes and he go he go one of the bodyguards comes and goes he was with Elizabeth it's okay <laughs> <laughs> it really it literally the, is your entree into a whole the different Oscar world didn't get you in but the name dropping of Elizabeth <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. did alright well let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned you heard the question that we asked of uh, Muffy first we wanted to know what was one of the two categories for which the Silence of the Lambs was nominated but did not win an Oscar Helen what did Muffy say Muffy said editing 
And Ed? Sadly, for my good buddy Craig McKay, it didn't win editing. Good job. Up that there. is correct for a point. Very good. Uh, the other one, I believe, was Best Sound. That's right. That's yes. right. Our, 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 some very good sound people. The, one of the great things about the sound was our sound designer. When Jody Foster goes down into Hannibal's cell for the first time, he goes, we're putting in some submarine sounds. <laughs> and, and they're in there. If you turn oh, it up, so cool. you'll hear submarines. Whatever they did, it works. I mean, the, the, the moods that that movie creates. It's, it's so unlike chilling. anything else. Thank the submarines. All right. That's well, why I got nominated. All right. Next, we wanted to know from Muffy, in what category did someone named Ed Saxon win an Oscar? Helen, what did Muffy say? Muffy said best picture slash producer. And Ed? It's right here. Yeah. That's what it says. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it says. And finally wanted to know, where in the movie does a character named Benjamin Raspail, who was modeled after that person, Ed Saxon, appear? Helen, what did Muffy say? Muffy said, the first victim in the garage. And Ed? That is correct. Yes! The head in the jar. It's a head in a jar that was based on you. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. I see it. I see it. Ed is modeling it for If I handed you a lipstick right now, I think I would see it more. I, I took the head, and it was in my hotel room, and I had to water it. And... <laughs> Um, you had to water it. I like had to water plant? my own head so the makeup would stay fresh. And my mother came to visit. Oh god! If you ever have a situation where your mother's coming and you have a model of your head in a jar, mm-hmm. don't surprise her with it. Okay, a very, a very to the relatable wise. scenario for our listeners Word to, uh, to appreciate that wonderful I'm, advice. I'm not gonna lie, Ed. When you said when when Jay Keith said you brought something special with you, I thought you were gonna whip out the head in the jar. <laughs> And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, is it the head in the jar? Do you yeah. still have it? We, we shot uh, some of this scene where Jody goes to see Hannibal at um, the Allegheny County Jail in Pittsburgh, which is like a turn of the century weirdo place and they had a little museum and they asked for the head. And, you know, when we made the movie, we were like, okay, we made a scary movie. And then when it turned into this winning awards kind of thing, we were all thought, oh, we should have saved some of that stuff. <laughs> So if I want to go see the head, I have to go to the Allegheny. You have to get arrested. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the things Helen is willing to do you know to what? see I artifacts. Might. You I might. might. It's wonderful to have you here, Ed. Muffy, while we have our expert here, is there something you'd like to ask or say to him? Well, I, I absolutely love Silence of the Lambs. It's one of the first movies I got to go see like on my own. And I was terrified, and there was like a white passenger, like a white panel van driving by afterwards. And I was like, oh my God, I want my mom to pick me up. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask, what do you do with the statuette the other days of the year? You know, I, I, because I now, I didn't have a good answer, but now because I run this uh, graduate program at USC, I have it in the office. Ah, so very good. Yeah, yeah, you okay. want to challenge your grade now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, and it, it actually is pretty heavy, as they say, yeah. and, uh, so it's also just in case. Very good. And, <laughs> and Brad, I understand that Silence of the Lambs is one of your very favorite movies. Anything you'd like to ask or say to Ed? Like, so uh, Gene Hackman, who's going to play Hannibal Lecter, where did Tony Hopkins come in? So two things about Tony. One was the 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 this studio was very much one that gave filmmakers their heads but they said offer it to Sean Connery and Jack Nicholson because they were the two biggest male stars who were the right sure. age if they both say no you guys can decide Jack and Sean said no we like really thought about it and thought Tony Hopkins people haven't seen it he came out here to be a movie star but then he wasn't the interesting thing for me is Tony Hopkins Anthony Hopkins approach to the to the character you know actors he was not a method actor he was a, mm-hmm. a very well trained you know guy who went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art he said you know he's a mimic 
and he said, I'm going to play Hannibal Lecter as Hal the Computer from 2001. Oh, wow. Because he's a great mimic. And then he just, if any of you know, it's like, open the pod door, Dave. It's this. It's this almost drained of emotion computer voice. Yeah. I have to pick and my brains up off the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, I'm and so that's, mind blown. that's what he did. And he said the, the, the words, he said the words out loud, uh, you know, a hundred times. My sister has one line in The Silence of the Lambs, and she spent more time on her character's motivation <laughs> than <laughs> Anthony. When you got the skills and the talents, uh, you <laughs> just go with it. Who does your sister play? She's a reporter after. Lecter escapes when Dr. Chilton comes out onto mm-hmm. the stairs and they're asking questions. Wow. And it's so wonderful that you joined us. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? Follow USC because yeah. that's, um, uh, it's called the Peter Stark Motion Picture Producing Program. And uh, we've got a website. And an Oscar. It's Ed Saxon. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Ed. Thank you so much. Wonderful to meet you. And Oscar. Helen, what is our scores? We head into the final round. Oh, I, I just need a minute. That was just so exciting. It's one of my favorite films. I'm like, woo! Okay, at the end of that exciting round, Brad Rutter has 10 points and Muffy Morocco has eight and a half points. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Brad and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Brad, most American TV game shows are shot in Florida. That's false. Correct. Muffy, most American TV game shows are shot in California. True. Correct. Brad, there was an American TV game show that was shot at 30,000 feet on an airplane. I think that is true, yes. Correct. Yes, it's called The Game Plane. Muffy, there was an American TV game show that was shot in a hospital's delivery room. False. Incorrect. Nope, called Labor Games. Brad, there was a TV game show where the object was to pass a lie detector test. True. Correct. Yes, one of them was called The Moment of Truth. Muffy, there was a TV game show where the object was to think like a cat. False. Incorrect. Nope. Ah! It was called Think Like a Cat. (laughs) Brad, there was a TV game show where the object was to be the last person to survive solitary confinement. I think that's true. Correct. It was called Solitary. Muffy, there was a TV game show where the object was to be the last person to vomit. True. Correct. Yes. And I'm sorry to say it was called Hurl. (laughs) Brad, there was a TV game show where the object was for an adopted person to figure out who their biological father is. I I think I remember that. That's true. Correct. Muffy, that show was called Baby Daddy. Yes. (laughs) I think I'll say true. Incorrect. No. I swear, I swear that wasn't a, that wasn't a, uh, I was not trying to psych wow. you out. It should have been called wow. Baby Daddy, Daddy if, uh-huh. That, uh-huh. if that makes you feel any better. Brad, that show was called Daddy Dearest. Oh, I think that is true. Incorrect. Uh, Muffy, that show was called Come to Daddy. True. Incorrect. Brad, that show was called Daddy Issues. False. Correct. Muffy, that show was called Everything That's Wrong With Television. <laughs> False. All right, let's give Muffy and Brad a hand as Helen tablets the final score. what was it called? The show was called Who's Your Daddy? Right. Who's... Should have been Baby Daddy. It it could have been Baby Daddy. All right, Helen, are you ready to announce the winner on today's show? I am at the end of the game. Brad Rutter has 15 points and Muffy Morocco has 10 and a half points. A very high-scoring game for both of our contestants, but congratulations, Brad. You are the factoring champion on Go Fact Yourself. Brad, what will you do with your championship? I will, uh, I'll get in the bath this evening. Oh. Maybe some verbena bath bomb. Mm-hmm. Candlelight. 
Yeah. We need to get graphic. No, no, more, and, more graphic. And uh, I'm just going to reflect on my time spent on this stage mm -hmm. and just feel the information just flowing through my brain like it was up here and just have a nice little time this evening. I think you should calculate how much of your life was spent watching Dazed and Confused <laughs> to bring you to this moment. That, that's, a, that's a great idea, actually. The, I, that's I, the math involved. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap things up by giving everyone here the chance to mention or promote anything that they might like. Brad Rutter, where can people find you and what you're up to? The Chase is on ABC uh, mm -hmm. Thursdays at 10, 9 Central, uh, or watch it on Fridays, uh, starting Fridays on Hulu. In fact, we have a couple backlog that you can watch right now. Follow me on Twitter at, at Brad Rutter and on Instagram at Brad Rutter Official. Excellent. We're so happy that you officially joined us tonight. It's Brad Rutter. <laughs> Muffy Morocco, what a pleasure. Where can people find what you're up to? So you can see Masterminds on GSN, the game show network. Uh, I appear on that. And I'm also on TikTok, uh, Instagram, at Muffy Morocco. And that's hard to spell. M-U-F-F-Y-M-A-R-R-A-C-C-O. Muffy Morocco, everybody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are so lucky because my hosting partner is Ms. Helen Hong. <laughs> If you haven't already, watch my comedy special streaming now. It's called Well Hong. <laughs> and follow me on the socials at Funny Helen Hong, because we all know that other Helen Hong, she's not funny. Not funny. Mm -hmm. nope. Not funny. But this one is, she is funny. She is Helen. She is Helen Hong. <laughs> Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Brad Rutter, Muffy Morocco, Wiley Wiggins, Ed Saxon, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night! Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for a schedule and tickets. And come see us at KPCC's Crawford Family Forum on Saturday, February 11th. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt and mug-shaped mug at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like the LA Accountant did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, I can tell a lot of care and thought goes into each episode, and the hosts are relatable and entertaining. Recently moved back to L.A., so I'm excited to catch a show in person. Thanks, the L.A. accountant. Did you catch the show in person? Where are you? Are you in here? Oh, Aww. next time. Helen? Go fact yourself. <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Carl Sagan and Andrian Theater at the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer, a.k.a. the sound master, is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Brian Phillips. Promotional graphics by Eric Tran. Live show photography by Christine Vallada. Live show stage management by Dave Bianchi. Special thanks to Rhonda Kilstein and Integrated Media Management. Yunjin Lee at the Peter Stark Producing Program at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. Spencer Marks and G. Paul Bailey. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch movies from the 90s! And find that head in the jar! <laughs> I know that guy! <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.